episode 146 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church, for Christ Church, and for all who would care to listen in. Uh, my name is John Payne. I'm the senior minister of Christ Church Presbyterian here in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm here with my co-host and good friend, Dr. Gabriel Williams. Good to see you, Gabe. It's good seeing you. And we are here in this episode to uh, discuss um, a wonderful topic, and that is the topic of godly reading. Hmm. And uh, we live in an age, of course, where we see a real declension in reading. Uh, there's a rise in sub-literacy. Uh, and uh, it doesn't take a sociologist uh, to understand why this is happening. Uh, digital media and uh, entertainment um, uh, and podcasts, mm-hmm. and, uh, headline news, which is written on about a sixth grade level. Uh, these are the things now that overwhelm us through our screens. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this has been an issue, and it is one for Christian believers as well. And so um, today we want to talk about godly reading and uh, the way that reading can be a real blessing and encouragement to our sanctification as Christians. So I'll, I guess I'll start with some of the books that have made uh, a very strong impact upon me as a Christian. So everyone at Christ Church knows that the book that I read every year is The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And I remember first discovering this book and just seeing that this is a an allegory of the Christian life from the sinner, being, the sinner himself um, fleeing from destruction and setting his face like Flint to go towards a celestial city and seeing all of the various ways in which the world, the flesh and the devil are warring against the Christian, preventing them from reaching that glorious place. But then as you go through the Pilgrim's Progress, you realize that in spite of the many difficulties that are along the way, the perseverance of the saints is a true and real doctrine that the saints do endure. They do persevere through many trials and struggles, but the saint does persevere. And for me, at the time when I first read that, it was an eye-opening sort of concept to realize that even though the forces against the Christian are stronger in themselves than the Christian, God himself is with us. And because of that, that means you have all of the means that God gives you to w- to persevere, to run the Christian race, and also to see the many, the manifold temptations and dangers that Satan puts in our way. So Gabe, you've uh, begun to talk about this book that's been so meaningful in your own life mm-hmm. and that you've read year after year. When did you start taking seriously the reading of good Christian literature? For me, this probably would have been around... 15 years ago. So this would have been in my mid twenties. Um, am I, I was converted as a teenager, about 15, 16 years old. I was kind of raised in a tradition that didn't really value Christian books that much because you had the Bible. What else would you really need uh, to have? And then I realized that, uh, as a young man, there are many different sorts of sins you can fall into because you either lack wisdom or just because you're just not aware of the minefields of false teaching that's around you. And for me, you can think of all the false teaching of the 20th century in some way, and you, I can probably say I was either knew about it, fallen into it, or in some way or fashion was affected by it. So when you first began uh, recognizing the need mm-hmm. to read good Christian books, 
uh, did you do like me and go to the Christian bookstore and uh, <laughs> look for the, the titles that uh, looked attractive and uh, the book covers that looked interesting? Well, fortunately, at the time that I was serious about getting started, I did have names in my head of people who I should read. And so at the time that I first really got started, uh, I already knew who John Calvin was, I already knew who Martin Luther was. So those were the first two I kind of started with. And with Martin Luther, I went way over my head and read Bondage of the Will. That wasn't the best advice to do. But then I kind of read other things that are more uh, simple. So I basically looked at commentaries. <laughs> so what I did from there was I read commentaries <laughs> from them. And the commentaries were much more accessible than their kind of theological sort of treatises. And then, uh, again, part of the digital, air, the digital age is that you have access to this huge library of things. And so that's when I found Ligonier.com. And from R.C. Sproul, I then learned about Sinclair Ferguson and the rest of the teaching fellows there. And that was really where most of my theological reading really took off in terms of searching for good things to read. Not just because I just wanted to know a bunch of theology, but really I spent so many years in bad doctrine that I did not want to continuously make the same mistake year after year. And so I trusted a lot of what Ligonier was putting out and also their recommendations. And I basically started, this would have been probably like 2008, 2009, somewhere around that time. So you would say that uh, the reading of good books has been very influential in your spiritual formation. Definitely. And for me, apart from just theological works, just good biographies uh, for me played a very important role. So I mentioned John Bunyan. I'm, I didn't actually read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress first. I read portions of biographies about him. And it was seeing his life uh, kind of exhibited in terms of his time in prison, um, the way that John Owen had such respect for him. And if you listen to Sinclair Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson talks all the time about John Owen. And so my view is if John Owen respected John Bunyan, I need to read John Bunyan. And that's what kind of got me into Pilgrim's Progress. And then there is, prior for me, my favorite uh, biography to this day is the biography you read about John Newton because of his just radical transformation of being a slave trader to being someone who is completely convinced of the sinfulness of that particular action, as well as his entire life. And so his own, uh, the biographical sketch that you can get from John Owen, as well as his autobiography, I think that to me has always been highly influential. I was told, Gabe, as a young Christian by a mentor hmm. that I should always be reading a biography. Hmm. Uh, now I would put in that as well uh, church history. And mm -hmm. so I am always reading mm -hmm. a biography and or some sort of church history. Yeah. And the reason why this can be so helpful as a Christian is that as you are reading a biography, as you're reading church history, you will inevitably put yourself uh, in the story and ask mm -hmm. yourself, okay, how would I respond in this situation? Mm -hmm. What would I have done? Uh, what lessons can I learn from this person's life? How can I emulate their godly behavior? How can I stay away from the ways that they made mistakes? Because they all had feet of clay. That's right. Now you have what's called 
you know, sort of your 19th century hagiography. Mm-hmm. Uh, hagiography simply means works where uh, they leave out uh, anything yeah. negative mm-hmm. about the individual. And so you mm-hmm. get done reading it and you think, okay, that person doesn't seem to have any <laughs> sin in their life. Uh, and it makes you feel like you know, you're the worst ever. And so a good biography that shows the strengths, the weaknesses, uh, the, the blessings and the difficulties and the challenges that that can really instruct uh, the individual Christian. And so uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't read a biography lately, you should pick one up. And it, it certainly there are many good missionary biographies and uh, various biographies on different Christians throughout the ages. <laughs> so many good ones. I'd be happy to recommend some. Uh, there are some in our reading challenge list that I uh, wrote up this past week. Uh, and um, and so you should pick one up uh, and make that a priority to read at least a couple a year. And I'll just like to add, at least for the members of Christchurch, is to remember we do have a library in Christchurch where you can borrow certain books and. Again, the books are carefully curated. They are great, not just for devotional reasons, but it gives you a sense of the history behind our confession. It gives you a sense of the history surrounding the major figures involved in the Reformation. You'll see commentaries in there, and I strongly recommend that a good place to start reading good literature is to read a commentary with your Bible reading. It's a good way to kind of see the addition that you get from having a well-trained pastor or theologian walk you through different passages in the scripture. And this is one of my convictions that I eventually became convinced of as I started reading more theology is that just as your current pastor, your ruling elders are gifts to the church for you, so will be the teachers of the church universal, past and present. And so one of the things that is beautiful is to recognize that you can pick up something from the 4th century, pick up something from the 10th century, pick up something from the 20th century. And if they are faithful exposers of the word, you will see that they are saying this, confessing the same doctrine and are given the same amount of encouragement. There are many debates in a church that went through large well, centuries of debates that culminated with our confessions and creeds. And those are gifts to us. We don't have to reinvent the wheel to basically get there. Another encouragement as it concerns a biography uh, is that you see, particularly Christian biography and Christian histories, you see God uh, working in mm-hmm. former times, exactly. and it encourages, and it uh, it strengthens faith and hope, mm-hmm. because we know that uh, God has done these things in the past. We know He can do them in the future, and uh, and so it really increases our our faith. And I I remember Gabe when I was studying at uh, the University of Edinburgh back in the early two thousands, uh, and um, I along with my my studies, which you know can be pretty intense. I wanted to read something that would be really encouraging to my soul mm-hmm. during that time. And so I began reading the two-volume uh, biography on George Whitfield, uh, okay. on Dallymore, which uh, is just such an encouragement seeing the Lord's hand at work through the preaching of the gospel mm-hmm. uh, through this faithful man, George Whitfield. Amen. 
Now, you've mentioned this uh, kind of already in, in passing in the podcast, but if you're a member of Christ Church, you may have seen an email already in your account in which Pastor John has uh, given a reading challenge for 2024. And as was kind of alluded to, these are meant to be for our mutual encouragement as Christians and is meant to be for our own just edification. But I guess I'll give it to Pastor John on t- for more about this. What kind of motivates you to, one, put forth a reading challenge and also the specific books that you put on the reading list? Yeah, as I mentioned in the pastoral letter leading up to the listing of the books and a brief description that I've given of each book, uh, one book per month, uh, I mentioned that we are tyrannized by all of our screens. Mm. Uh, even as we sit here doing this podcast, right, we're looking at iPhones and iPads. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, uh, you know, we're, we just always have them in front of us. And in so many ways, they are helpful and beneficial for our lives. But in so many ways, they tyrannize us mm. and they distract us and they pull our attention away from that which really matters to often what doesn't really matter, exactly. uh, which is, is just trivial. And so, and, and part of this as well is we've lost our long-term attention spans. Many mm. of our young people, many college, I mean, you're a college professor, so yeah. is this the case? This is the, the norm of all college professors at this point is to realize that since we are not a, not a literate culture in the sense that the normal no way people entertain themselves in the past in terms of reading is just not what goes on today. And the consequences is that we expect that college students, for instance, the amount of pages that they read per hour is probably half as much it was 50 years ago, just because of the intention span and the ability to follow the argument. And so if that is the case, that means for Christians, at least, if our attention span is shrinking that much, that means we're closing ourselves off to the rest of basically Christian teaching for generations. So you ask, you know, what has led me as as the pastor to give this reading challenge? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have taken a couple of years. We haven't done it, but prior to this year, um, and doing it here just uh, this week, uh, we've done it for several years prior, mm-hmm. and I know you and your family have yep. taken part in it. Um, and so part of the reason is to push back against the culture. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we can't just go with the flow on this. Exactly. We, we can't just continue with decreasing long-term attention spans. I mean, this is going to affect the way we listen to preaching. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect so many things. And so we want to push against it as a Christian community and say, you know, reading has always been important in the Christian community. Mm-hmm. And we want to maintain that exactly. commitment to, to godly reading. And reading, whether it's reading um, uh, doctrine, whether it's reading commentaries, mm-hmm. whether it's reading biographies, whether it's reading on uh, reading books on the Christian life, all of these things are going to assist with our spiritual formation. It's going to give us categories to which we can hang ideas on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if if we become a subliterate church, we're going to be more susceptible. To the attacks of the evil one when it comes mm-hmm. to false teaching, mm-hmm. false thinking, giving in to the new wicked ideologies of our age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why so many churches have capitulated to say the woke ideologies mm-hmm. is because they don't know their Bibles and they haven't thought deeply about the things of God. Exactly. They're getting um, 
you know, good advice and motivational speeches mm-hmm. from their pastors, they're not getting in-depth preaching. And a lot of times it's because the pastors, who may actually be men who have strong grasp of the scripture themselves, they think nobody's going to listen to me mm-hmm. if I don't dumb it down to a place that becomes really absolutely ridiculous. Exactly. Um, and so my intention is to encourage our congregation to totally leg it, to, to take up and read, mm-hmm. first of all, the scriptures, yeah. um, but, but to have good Christian literature in front of them, to expose them to good books, uh, good authors, mm-hmm. as well as to good publishers, because there are certain yes. publishers that you can trust, mm-hmm. you know, the banner of truth. Uh, Reformation Heritage Books, uh, mm-hmm. Presbyterian and Reformed. Uh, these are, uh, uh, you know, publishers where you can pick up any book and trust yeah. that it's going to be solid. Exactly. Uh, and so these are the reasons why, Gabe, uh, we have the 2024 Reading Challenge before mm-hmm. us. And if you um, are listening to this and uh, are not on our email list, we, this is also posted on our website under uh, recent news and updates, and so you can access the uh, the reading list there. Yeah. Now, some of the books that you will see on the reading list, as has already been alluded to, uh, you you will see that there are some that are biographical sketches. You will see that some are going to be related to more kind of devotional materials. So, for example, in the month of January, we have a book entitled "The Character of Christ." The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Our Savior by Jonathan Landry Cruz, another Band of Truth uh, book. And just think about what you'll be meditating upon throughout the month of January if you were to just kind of walk through uh, this particular book. You're meditating upon the believer's union with Christ and the benefits that flow from them. And just think about the theology itself, that wonderful truth. But again, The purpose of learning theology is not just so you have more knowledge in your head. Uh, The purpose is that it's meant to push your soul to ascend to God in a a sense. It's to push your soul to consider things beyond just this world and to consider the glories of Christ as he is presented to us in the gospel and in terms of what we have as believers. And then you have other examples, for, uh, for instance, so scrolling down kind of throughout the list, in the month of May, we have, for instance, um, Reverend Derek Thomas's book, Strength for the Weary. And so this is a, essentially a book that unpacks the promises of God that is given to us. And this is based upon the last several chapters of the book of Isaiah. So this is kind of part commentary, part devotion. And again, think about your own Bible reading itself. Many times you can just kind of move quickly through the book of Isaiah and not pause to consider what's going on, especially chapters 40 to the end, in which it's all of this uh, milk and meat for Christians to live, to grow, and to develop. But then with that, you also have multiple different types of biographies that are involved. So, John, you can kind of comment on these. What kind of motivates you to pick some of the biographies that you put on the list? Yeah, so uh, one book which is biographical in nature, uh, but biblical in its foundation, is called The Three Marys, written by Mm -hmm. Alexander Moody Stewart. Uh, 
the, the subtitle is Learning from the Lives of Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, and Mary the Mother of Jesus. Now this was first published in 1862 uh, by a, a Free Church of Scotland minister named Alexander Stewart. And it's a wonderful devotional, uh, also theological, but very practical book on looking at the lives of these three godly women and learning mm-hmm. from them. And so uh, it's not short, it's 307 pages, um, mm-hmm. but worth uh, every uh, minute you spend with it. Um, and uh, a greater glory from pitch to pulpit. Now, you'll see my soccer background coming through <laughs> here. Uh, this is a, a fun uh, autobiographical work uh, written by a former Newcastle United uh, soccer player or yeah. football player. Um, who became a Christian at the height of his, his successful career with Newcastle United. And it's just wonderful seeing how God is at work, even in kind of the more elite uh, sports, and uh, where there's big fame, big money, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ is working in the heart of this man who now is uh, involved in, in ministry uh, after his retirement. And and then one of the books I'm excited about is for the month of August, and that is David B. Calhoun's Swift and Beautiful, mm. The Amazing Stories of Faithful Missionaries. Uh, Gabe, it used to be a regular pastime of Christians to read uh, Christian missionary biographies, mm-hmm. uh, not only to learn of the, these lives, but to be inspired and encouraged uh, to grow in our prayer lives for mission and to want to be involved in mission ourselves and our children. And so um, this book actually has 10 brief missionary mm-hmm. uh, biographies within it. And um, I would just encourage everyone to, uh, to take advantage of that um, in the month of August. Now, you also see on the list that there is a the volume that uh, Pastor John and one of our missionaries, Sebastian Heck, did, A Faith Worth Defending. And you've heard us talk about this, if you've listened to the podcast before, that this is meant to, again, remind us of the confession of heritage that we are in. And though this is speaking about the history and theology of the Synod of Dort itself, and it's meant to be a a challenge. And this is going on in the Reformation month of October. And then you also have, you know, right after that, this is now November, long before Luther, tracing the heart of the gospel from Christ to the Reformation. And again, this is connecting back to who we are in history. And so it's very easy today to think of your Christian, think of the Christian church as basically being one generation only, nothing before, nothing after. And one of the benefits of learning biography and Christian history is to remember the communion of the saints, that you are in fellowship with the saints that have departed, the saints triumphant right now, as we are in the stage of life right now in which we are walking through our own valley of tears, walking through the wilderness of this world. Remember that there have been saints who have triumphed, overcome, and they are now triumphant in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian history teaches that and reinforces that basic point. And when it comes to us as uh, Reformed Christians, when we think about the Reformation, we're not just thinking about a historic event that changed Europe. We're speaking about the event that brought back to light the gospel that in many ways was obscured by the late medieval era. And so learning about it 
often is something that is important so that we don't forget how precious the gospel is to us ourselves. Now, Gabe, I don't know if you know, but uh, this is an election year. (laughs) (laughs) Things are kind of wild. The the polarization of our culture is at its height, and Mm -hmm. um, maybe not at its height. It probably will grow. And and so one of the books that I have listed for the month of September, uh, of course, November will be election month Mm -hmm. for a new president, uh, but it's called Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice, mm-hmm. an Urgent Appeal to Fellow Christians in a Time of Social Crisis uh, by Scott David Allen. And this is, uh, I've read several books on, on this subject, and uh, many of them are technical, they're mm-hmm. highly academic, sometimes hard to follow, especially if you just are not new to this kind of literature, or if you are new to this literature, rather. But this book I found to be very lay-friendly, mm-hmm. uh, very readable. Um, there are charts where he s- essentially shows, okay, this is biblical justice and this is social justice, and social justice uh, coming from uh, secular humanism mm-hmm. uh, and its understanding of man and its understanding uh, of culture and its understanding of the world. Uh, and so um, this book, I think, will be a very helpful uh, volume, if you'll take time uh, to uh, to read it. Have you read this particular one? Yes, I have read it. Mm-hmm. Elise and I read it, I think, a year or so ago, something like okay. that. And it's, I, yeah, I agree. In terms of the, the types of books that would be accessible to those who probably have heard the term, but probably you don't want to invest the time to look at the philosophers that have created this term. This is a good way to kind of introduce what the whole concern is about and why this has fractured so many Christians and society as a whole. Yes, and and then in February um, next month, I'm excited about uh, this book by Ryan McGraw called A Mystery Revealed, hmm. 31 Meditations on the Trinity. And so this will be devotional material for February. And... Um, we need to get back to a, a better understanding of the doctrine of God. Amen. Uh, it's been something that uh, has been marginalized in our day, uh, and uh, there has been, a, thankfully, a, there, there's been a slew of new books written over the past uh, 18 months on the doctrine of God, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this one, of course, focusing on God as Trinity. And uh, I think it'll be a, a great encouragement to our people. Amen. So in terms of the actual reading challenge itself, I would strongly encourage all of those who can to participate. And so think about this in terms of a new year resolution. Uh, You have now a specific, measurable and attainable goal that you can have in terms of walking through one book per month. So that means, again, if you think about this in terms of scheduling out your time, if you have 30 days in a month, that means you can probably get through these books by reading three to four pages per night and spend some time just thinking about some of the conclusions from them. And one thing I will often do is read a book along with my quiet time. <laughs> and so if you're committed to spending you know, 15 to 20 minutes in a personal devotion every morning, you could dedicate some of that time to reading two or three or four pages yeah. of one of these books for the book challenge. 
Uh, and that's, this will get you into a good habit. Now, some of you will be able to spend more time doing that. Now, spend mm-hmm. some time at night reading as well, which we mm-hmm. encourage. But don't look at it as, oh, my goodness, this is a 250-page book. I have to read by the end of the month mm-hmm. and get overwhelmed because you hadn't read a book in five years. Mm-hmm. Look at it as, oh, I can read it in these small chunks, be encouraged, and do it a little bit at a time. And then you'll develop some good reading habits. That's right. And so, again, uh, if, if you have the time, and I think this is one of those things where it's worth carving out time in your schedule to devote yourself to the reading of good devotionals, good biographies, good commentaries, and just good doctrinal thinking, this is one of those things to invest your time in. Less social media, more books, more reading. <laughs> exactly. Less Netflix, more books, more reading. You will not regret it be encouraged dear saints take up and read toilet legge we hope you'll join us next time on between the time